we'll see what happens. I, I have Celtics in seven. I have them losing to Golden State uh, in game two in a couple days, but we'll, we will see. And for the record, um, Colin has Celtics in seven as well. Uh, he has he had them winning game one, and Newman has Warriors in six. He had Golden State winning game one and the first three games of the series. So we'll see. That was a crazy prediction when I first saw it, that he had Golden State winning games one, two, three, then Boston coming out with two, and then Golden State winning. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 60 of the Clubhouse Convos podcast. Um, we're shorthanded today, Dan. We are indeed. It's only the two of us. Yeah, how are you doing? Any big plans for this weekend? It is a Friday. It's a rainy Friday afternoon as we record right now. Well, probably going to a friend's house later today with a couple of the boys to play some cards. Um, and then tomorrow... Girlfriend's got a cheer banquet that I have to attend, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I think that's all I got planned so far. Um, the weather's supposed to be nice, I think, for the weekend, but today is kind of a wash. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and we are recording on this Friday morning after the Boston Celtics game one victory on the road in San Francisco. Well, I find my laptop charger, Dan. You want to break down the game for us? Yeah, um, I didn't follow the game too closely. Um, obviously, Curry has the amazing first quarter with, I believe it was like six threes. But it was weird because like all the momentum seemed to be in Golden State's favor, but Boston was there the entire time. Even when they were down 12, like it, it seemed the game could get out of hand, but Boston kind of bowed their way back to get it to single digits. So it was a very weird game because it just seemed like Golden State had a lot of momentum and Boston was able to stay in it. And then at the end, they just run away with it and uh, end up winning in the pretty, pretty uh, sizable margin. So it was, it was a very interesting game one, I have to say. And it was a game where Tatum uh, struggled. I mean, we were talking in the chat last night um, and kind of ripping the guy. Yeah. I believe he shot, finished the game three of 17 shooting from the field. Um I really had a tough game. You look at the performances from Derek White, and you look at Al Horford. I mean, Al Horford, a guy who – that was his first ever NBA Finals game. And I don't know about you, but, like, you could just tell that he wanted it so bad. And you could tell the energy that he played with. And, yeah. I mean, Derek White pulling up with confidence. Like, look back at the series against Milwaukee. He had some tough shooting games, and he would be hesitant to shoot. He'd pass off a lot. I mean, he's catching the ball like without hesitation, pulling uh, a three-point jump shot. I think he shot over fifty percent from three last night, and so I, I think without those guys, you don't win that game. And you throw Smart in there; they shot fifteen of twenty-three from three. I mean, you'd like to hope that they can continue that. Um, I know game two, you have Golden State, and I have Golden State, and we can talk a little bit about our predictions, but. You had Golden State in six. You want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah. So we talked about this 
yesterday uh, before we had the technical difficulties um, <laughs> trying to record this pod, but I thought coming into this experience was going to mean something. And early on, it kind of did look like that. Steph Curry just looked absolutely confident out there. Uh, like I said, draining the six threes in the first quarter, but Boston is talented. You kind of saw late, late in the game that defense really clamp up. So it, it, I'm not surprised that Boston won this game one. I think the stat is when somebody just won a game seven or something like that and coming into the next series, they're pretty successful. Um, but I still think Golden State, very talented. They'll figure it out. Um, Steve Kerr is the head coach. He's always confident. I just heard an interview earlier today. He's still pretty confident with the team being able to win it uh, because it is a seven-game series. It's not just one game. So I still feel confident with my Warriors pick. Uh, in terms of game two, I think they'll bounce back. It was a rough fourth quarter. They were pretty good for majority of the game. So it, I'm still going to stick by my Warriors in six. I think for the Warriors, too, you got to find a way to keep Steph going. Mm-hmm. I mean, Danny mentioned his first quarter, and he was fantastic, right? Six yeah. threes. Uh, one of his misses was a half-court shot at the end of the quarter. Um, and so you got to find a way to keep him – to keep his impact on the game lasting beyond the first quarter, I didn't see too much of him really after early in the second quarter. I thought he really fell off, and I thought that's kind of when the Warriors started to struggle a little bit. I mean, they got great play from Otto Porter. I think he hit four or five threes in the game. Uh, I thought Wiggins played well, but I think you needed Curry, especially early in that fourth quarter, to hold off that momentum. When they started that fourth quarter down 12, they cut it to four rather quickly, that's when you knew, okay, this is this is a game. And the Celtics are 8-2 and two now on the road in, in the playoffs. And that's why I have them personally winning, if I look at it, two games in Golden State. I think that's something that they could 100% do. I mean, they already got one. I think, you know, I said on the pod yesterday that obviously didn't last, but um, I think this team, if they can play well offensively, they'll be okay. I, I was more worried about the offense rather than the defense. And you saw that defense last night really turn it up in the fourth quarter. And I hope Tatum has a better game. I hope Jalen Brown can continue what he did. He was great early in the fourth quarter. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting times, honestly. So so we'll see what happens. I, I have Celtics in seven. I have them losing to Golden State uh, in game two in a couple days. But we'll, we will see. And for the record, um, Colin has Celtics in seven as well. Uh, he has he had them winning game one, and Newman has Warriors in six. He had Golden State winning game one and the first three games of the series. So we'll see. That was a crazy prediction when I first saw it, that he had Golden State winning games one, two, three, then Boston coming out with two, and then Golden State winning. That yeah, a- my, roommate, my roommate from last year uh, sent me a text and was like, what the hell is this kid on? The Celtics haven't lost three games in a row since January. I know. Well, that, that that was a crazy prediction. Yeah. Um, we can move over into some NHL talk, um, and you can contribute how you see fit. Um, <laughs> so we'll start with Colorado Edmonton. Um, in the fake pod yesterday, we had talked a little bit about this after game one, where Colorado won eight to six at home. Game two last night, Colorado wins four to nothing, and Pavel Francouz gets his, I believe, second start of the playoffs, third, and he was fantastic. Twenty four out of twenty four shuts out the Oilers, who had scored four more four more goals in five straight games. 
And so Colorado up 2 nothing. Dan, you've been on the Colorado train, like, longer than anybody else, really, to be <laughs> honest with you. So uh, you still feel confident. I think you said them in six. Yeah. They're up 2 nothing going back to Edmonton. Yeah, I think we all were concerned to start the year. They, they weren't playing good. And then once they kind of started to make that turn, uh, I just thought, at least from the little knowledge of hockey I have, I'm like, all right, this is a very talented team. They're kind of finally finally getting them like their feet wet. They're finally figuring figuring things out. So the rest of the way, I just thought they're definitely the best team in hockey. I mean, that they're one of the best records in hockey. Um, it seemed whenever I watched them, they're dominating teams. So to come into these playoffs, um, I'm pretty sure they had a pretty easy first round, second round. Um, don't really quite remember what happened, but I mean, I, they're just very talented from what I know. So you're going up against a team in the Oilers that all they rely on is scoring because their goalie situation is pretty terrible. So I'm going to take the team that's very talented and very well-rounded over a one-trick pony type team. I know the Oilers have the two best players in hockey, but I have to go with the, the avalanche in this. I said yesterday that I thought the the Oilers would win this series in six. That was before they lost last night. So that kind of seems, you know, tough to accomplish. Tough to see them winning four straight games against this Avs team. But the Avs defense last night and, and the parts that I watched in between commercials of the Celtics game, thought they were stifling. I think McDavid and Dreisaitl had a lot of entries where they were just passes were broken up. Uh, a lot of pucks to the side, to the boards. Really, Edmonton couldn't get set up. Couldn't get their power play going. And, I mean, three goals for Colorado in two minutes and four seconds, I believe. So when you have that happen, it's almost like you got punched in the mouth, and, and it's really tough to recover after that. thought Francois was great. Uh, I'd like to see it happen again, and I said that last night. Newman said on the pod yesterday that he'd rather have Francois than Kemper. I pushed back a little bit on that, but Francois gets a shutout. So we'll see. I mean, I, I expect the Oilers to play pretty well at home. Uh, I don't think they'll lose at home in this series. They've been that good. But, again, to win four straights is probably going to be pretty tough. I'd say the Avs have a good chance to move on to the Stanley Cup final. Absolutely. But Edmonton, you got to defend home ice. And I think that they will. I think this goes 6-7 regardless of who wins. Um, will it be Edmonton? I don't know. It's going to be tough to win four out of five against this team. Going over to the Eastern Conference, Tampa Bay and New York. New York won game one, 6-2, to two, and they are up one nothing now in the series. They have game two tonight at home. Dan, who do you think wins game two? And talk about your prediction for the series. So I believe I said yesterday coming in, I would have probably taken the Lightning in six or seven because um, it is the conference finals, probably would have went seven, but – uh, to see New York kind of win like that in game one, it, it, I guess it is a little surprising because I know Tampa Bay did just come off the sweep, so they've had some days off. They're a little rusty. So I, I think they're going to have a statement game game two. Um, they finally got back in the ice game one, kind of get their feet under them, and then they got they can't go down too well. Um, I, I just think kind of like my take on Golden State, they're very experienced. They're, they're going for the dynasty here. So I feel like they're going to make a statement in game two, and I still feel confident that they can win the series and get to the cup. Yeah, I agree. And past history would tell you that with Tampa Bay, they, they never lose uh, They never lose after they lose a playoff game. They haven't done that in three years, obviously winning two Stanley Cups in years prior. So Vasilevsky always shows up in games like this. I think it's one of really one of the safest bets. I'm with you. I think Tampa wins this, game, wins this next game uh, tonight. 
I have Rangers in seven, though. I, I think if any team is going to wear out Tampa Bay, it's going to be this team. You look on the back end. I don't know if they've played a better goalie in their pa- in their past playoff endeavors than Shesterkin. So I think that's huge for the Rangers. I just put together three straight wins, thirty plus saves, um, o- over a nine four save percentage. So he- he's been unreal. And a really good defensive team, Adam Fox and Jacob Truba have been outstanding. And you look at the power play. I mean, that's something that that obviously in that series against Florida, they didn't have to worry about Tampa. I mean, that Florida power play was one for 31 in the playoffs. This power play is different. They're one of the best in the league, and I think they're going to pose problems for um, the Lightning. And again, Jar Gallant led Vegas to the Sailing Cup in his first year, and I think he does it with the Rangers here. Uh, in, in this one. It's going to be a good series. I have it going the full way, full seven. I think Tampa wins game two tonight, and then um, I, I could see New York getting a game in Tampa, and then, you know, it's game five in a 2-2 series. So we'll see. We'll review that series next week. We'll see what it's looking like. And now we can go to some MLB power rankings, Dan, if you want to share your screen, and we can take a dive into those. I've lost your volume. I cannot hear you. Yes, that would be because my mic is muted. Um, (laughs) What I was saying was I was not prepared for that, so I had not pulled them up yet. So you'll have to bear with me for a second while I figure this out. No problem. Um, I did send out a tweet um, talking that I was so high on one team, and and we'll be able to figure that out very shortly as the screen is now shared. There we go. so, yeah, not a lot of movement over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, baseball, not a lot can really happen in a week, I feel, to move you a lot up or down the standings, um, or at least our power rankings. But So coming in at number one is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, these rankings were before their sweep to the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, who <laughs> I, I believe actually you to change. What? I said I tried texting you to change, but it was past the deadline. I know, I already made the post on the Instagram, so it yeah. would have been pointless. That's when it's um, final. Yeah. But, um, so Dodgers are number one uh, for this week, at least. Coming in at number two is the New York Yankees, and they are followed by the New York Mets at three, San Diego Padres four, Houston Astros five, Milwaukee Brewers six, Toronto Blue Jays seven, Tampa Bay Rays eight, Minnesota Twins nine, Los Angeles Angels ten, St. Louis Cardinals 11, and the San Francisco Giants at 12. And, buddy, I think we all know what your tweet was about. Why are the Cardinals ranked fifth for you, but only 11th and 12th for everyone else? Well, it's it, it really – it's an atrocity, really, that they're that low. Um, I hate to say it, but it is. They just won a series against the Padres. They just won a series against the Brewers. I mean, this team – if you look at this team – I mean, it, it, it really is an elite lineup. Go, go ahead, Dan. Um, just some breaking news from Connor in the chat. Uh, Giardi is out in Philly. Whoa. He is out. Whoa. So wow. that season for the Phillies will continue as they lose their manager. Wow. I don't know if you can blame him fully for that team's troubles. No, like – I think coming into the year, we all looked at the Phillies on paper and said this is going to be a really good offense. 
kind of forgetting the defense is going to be terrible. And then when the offense can't show up, I mean, it's like when we talk about the Red Sox and their offense doesn't show up, it, it just, it's a terrible baseball product. So the Phillies are just kind of the combination of that and can never really get going on offense and never can really get the pitching going at the same time. So it, it's disappointing to see. I, I think the Phillies are fun to watch when they're good. So it, and obviously being a Eagles and Sixers fan, I, I want to see, uh, Want to see the Phillies do good, but they just—they're not. That's a, that's a really good point about their defense. I mean, I've seen so many highlights or more like lowlights for them, but yeah. on you know talking baseballs Instagram, just them just kicking so many easy plays. Like they got to be they got to be the worst defensive team in baseball, and I think that's a good point, right? And I don't know with that lineup, it's hard to figure out how they're this bad. I mean, Harper's been an MVP candidate, right? You couldn't. Yeah. Have, I expect anything more from him. Um, Reese Hoskins had turned it on. I know Segura's injured, but he was having a really good year. Mm-hmm. Cassiano's hasn't been, I guess, what they wanted him to be, but Schwarber's been fine. Like, the top five is fine. And I, I struggle to understand how that team is so bad. And, and maybe it's partly the pen. I mean, they've had a lot of implosions as well. Yeah. But, I don't know. The surprise. Will... We'll see who fills in. Yeah, I will say, because I have Hoskins in – um, fantasy baseball, and I think I was looking at a couple of the guys when we were trying to do the team of the year segment a couple of weeks ago. It, it's a team that I think puts up some runs, but very low averages across the board for a lot of the guys besides Harper and uh, Segura. Like I think Schwarber, when he was leading the league or close to leading the league in homers, he was batting sub 200. Hoskins has been hit for a long time hitting sub 200. So yeah, they're putting up these runs and getting a lot of homers, but they're not getting on base a lot. They're just – they're not a good baseball team. <laughs> no. It's a lot of and, big names, but they just can't produce. Yeah, 22 and 29. I mean, none of us coming in thought they'd be in that spot. And I did see um, a tweet this morning relative to the Phillies, and, and I believe Connor had sent it uh, to me on Instagram. Let me just quickly review that. Um the Baltimore Orioles have the same amount of wins as the Philadelphia Phillies 50 games into the year. And oh, yeah, the Orioles have the lowest payroll in baseball, while the Phillies have the fourth highest and spend $204 million in the offseason. Yeah. So that tells you really all you need to know about the Phillies. Yeah. Um, back to my Cardinals, a uh, little rant here. Uh, to me, it's an elite lineup. I look up and down the lineup. I mean, Tommy Edmond, Nolan Gorman, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Juan Pez, Pujols, Molina, you get the vets, and then Brendan Donovan and Harrison Bader. Three of those guys are rookies, by the way. Yepes, Donovan, and Gorman. Gorman, the the big prospect who's been unreal since he came up. Um, but what I do like, and Oliver Marmol does such a good job with constructing the lineup. He is Tommy Edmond leading off, who's been fantastic all year. He's got double-digit steals. At the bottom of the lineup in the nine hole, you have Harrison Bader, who I think is one of the most underrated players in baseball, plays defense, hits for power, and he can run. He's up over, I believe, 13 stolen bases this year. So kind of almost having those guys back-to-back, where you go Bader, Edmund, and then Gorman, Goldschmidt, Arenado. I mean, that to me is where this lineup is, when it turns over, is when it can be lethal. Um and it really the perfect balance of contact. You got contact guys, right? Donovan, Edmund, and I even probably throw Bader in there. 
Power, Goldschmidt, Arenado, Pujols, Yapez, Speed, Edmund, Bader, defense. We know what Arenado can do on the hot corner. Harrison Bader is an elite outfielder. So that to me, and we know what Yadier Molina can do also, throwing out guys trying to steal. So that's also a big one. The, I talked about the rookies, and the rotation or the rotation and the bullpen have been really good. They have the least amount of blown saves all year. And they don't really have a highlighter in the back end. I mean, Gallegos we thought was the closer. Now it's Helsley. But, again, to have the least amount of steals, like you're closing out games well, you're, you're getting the wins. I mean, that's something we were talking about the Phillies. That's something that they struggled with. I mean, imagine – Imagine them having kind of a lockdown bullpen. I'm sure they have more wins, obviously, than they do right now. And I'd also expect the Cardinals to be aggressive at the deadline. They usually are. I know they were in kind of the rumor mill with Bogarts. I don't think Bogarts gets traded, but there's the expectation in St. Louis that they want to make a trade. And then Jack Flaherty, the ace, is nearing a rehab assignment. So, you know, you'll get him back. You'll add him to Michaelis and uh, Hudson and um, Wainwright. So, that to me right now the Cardinals look pretty good, and I have three quick guarantees as well. Uh, I'm gonna just put it on the record. I think Paul Goldschmidt wins the NL MVP. He's been unreal this year. Um, I believe he's got 21 game hit streak. I can totally see that continuing, and and it reminds me of the Paul Goldschmidt of five five or so years ago in Arizona, where he was one of the best players. I mean, it was on. It was honestly at a time it was him, Trout, and Harper were kind of the big three in baseball. Kind of going back to that. Um, I think they won the NL Central. I think they passed the Brewers. I mean, Freddie Peralta is now on the shelf, 15-day DL, IL. He's going to be out for a while with an arm injury. Uh, Brandon Woodruff just hit the IL as well. So you're left with Burns, who's maybe one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, but then, you know, Lauer, who's been struggling a little bit lately. They brought up Ashby, who's pretty good. But, again, outside of that, there's some question marks also in the lineup. I think the Cardinals lineup is better than the Brewers lineup. And lastly, I think they make it to the NLCS um, as well. So I'm really high on the Cardinals. Kind of reminds me of, oh, hopefully, uh, about the Flames last year. I was the first on the Flames uh, this past year. So I hope it's an early trend for success. We'll see. I, I need to get a take right. So <laughs> I hope I hope all these can come true. But that's my little uh, take on the Cardinals. I, I think they're exciting to watch. And I think they'll be dangerous come come the fall. So, a lot, a lot of time though. I will say that your uh, your Cubs prediction at the beginning of the year probably will not be coming true. That they will be the ones getting in the wild card. Yes, that will not happen. I almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then let's see. Um, do you have anything on on these power rankings? By the way, um, no, I think they're fine. Um, I think. I think the Yankees are the best team in baseball. I know, obviously, opinions probably changed after the sweep to <laughs> say the Yankees are the best team in baseball. But even before that, I, this, I think this team is complete. Judge is having an outstanding year. The offense is finally kicking in the gear when they, they should be. And the pitching is absolutely – it's dominant. I mean, they have a, a ton of good starters, and the bullpen's really good as well. I know Chapman's shaky, but they have Clay Holmes um, – who is, he's been insane this year. He was a great pickup for me in fantasy. He's probably eventually going to take Chapman's job, but I think the Yankees are clearly the best team in baseball. I think it's unfortunate for the Sox, but um, that's really the only thing. I think the rest of the power rankings are fine, honestly. Um, the only thing that makes me kind of question a little bit is the Twins. 
I, I know they're currently the first in the AL Central. They're doing really good, but I, I just can't see them lo- or winning the division over the White Sox. The, just, the whole rest of the season to go, I don't see it happening. Um, well, two things. One, going off of your Yankees thoughts, I mean, look at, look at the doubleheader yesterday, right? Cortez, seven shutout innings, right? In the first game against an Angels team, yeah, they had lost five in a row going into yesterday, but there's some big bats in that lineup. Go, looking at the second game in that doubleheader, Jameson uh, Tyone pitches unbelievable, takes a perfect game into the eighth, and I picked them up in my other league, thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little nervous going into that, seeing the Angels lineup, but like the pitching has been getting it done. Like That's scary. That's scary to me because that's the part I think we all thought they would be missing. We knew the lineup would be good, and they're winning with Stanton on the shelf as well. So I don't see the Yankees falling off at all. Dan, I don't know about you. I see them winning the AL East, and I also see them not slowing down. They're going to win over 100 games, and it's it's going to be unreal. I don't know what you think. So they're definitely going to win the uh, win the division. I don't think Tampa Bay could catch them. Um, I think Toronto's too up and down to even make it a race, and we're not even going to consider Boston at this point that – We'll talk about them later probably, but I I definitely think they win the division. I definitely think they'll get 100 wins. But when it comes to the playoffs, are they going to be the classic Yankees of late and choke it? Or are they finally? is this going to be the year they can finally push through and make it to a World Series? So that's the question for this team. Um, that's just kind of been the recent trend for them. They just can't win in the playoffs really. So, But in terms of the regular season, by far and away going to be the best team in baseball. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about Garrett Cole, who is actually having a pretty good year. And I think yeah. if he can get back to kind of what he's been, we talked Cortez, we talked Tyone, like, you know, I'm blanking on the last two guys in that rotation. I mean, Severino, too. Like, they're healthy in the rotation, and, and it does feel a little bit different than years past. I'm not going to say right now that they're going to go to the World Series. I said last year they would, and that didn't work out well, so now I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to say that again, but they're scary. They're they're the best team in that division, and I didn't even have them in the playoffs. So I guess I can, I should go eat crow. <laughs> I remember. So I wasn't on the record prediction podcast when you guys had Jason on, but I did have um, the Red Sox in fourth place and the Yankees in third. But at least I had the Yankees above the Red Sox. So that's all. I know a lot of people had the Yankees in fourth place. I didn't agree with that. That's my problem. Sometimes I let my bias creep in. I mean, I said in the Heat-Celtics series that the Celtics would sweep, in part because I was going to game four. I wanted to see a sweep. I mean, granted, whatever, they, they won the series anyway. But, yeah, I, I think sometimes I do let, let my uh, my personal bias come to play. Real quick, you, you talked to. about the – Yeah, you have to, really. You talked about the Twins. I, could, I see them holding on. I said before the season that they would win that division – I know you weren't on that podcast, but you should have seen just the backlash I received. Jason Ward, I think, called me maybe the dumbest person. Like he doesn't, he couldn't understand my take, Colin. And obviously, we we know what, how Colin ridicules me and Newman. So um, I stuck by that prediction. I said the White Sox won't even make the playoffs, and I, I I stand by that as well. I mean, the White Sox are a little bit banged up. Lance Lynn is still out. Giolito's been struggling. Um, you know. Dallas Keuchel had to be released because he was so bad. You bring in Johnny Cueto, who's way past his prime. And, you know, Jimenez is still injured. Jose Abreu hasn't been what he once was. 
And I look at the Twins, I look at their rotation, and it's been really good. Um, Joe Ryan, who I think is a legitimate ace now in, in the game of baseball, uh, he's out with COVID. He's been out with COVID for like a week, and they're still playing that well. Former Yankees, Urshel has been great for them. Gary Sanchez has been great for them. Even with Buxton struggling, it's kind of given them uh, some cushion with kind of guys like that stepping up. And you look at Luis Arias, who is leading the league in on-base percentage, almost at, I believe, 44.5% he gets on. He's unbelievable. He's a hitting machine. And I just see this keeping up. Max Kepler's had a good year. It's been a surprise to see their bullpen's been good, and I, I expect them to carry that on. I think they're – I had them 11, I believe. I would have them going up past the Angels if, if I could have redone these rankings. But I think they're going to win. Uh, and just imagine if Correa gets going, who's had a tough year, and if Buxton can, you know, figure himself out back to what he was in the first month of the year. I see this team winning the division, and I see them – I don't know if they win a playoff series, but – I could totally see them winning this division. Um, go ahead. It, it's very interesting. Um, coming into the year, obviously, they get Correa, and everyone's like, all right, like right, they'll probably be somewhat decent. I know they made a couple other signings, obviously the trade you talk about with New York. But I think the question for me coming into the year was the pitching. So it's kind of been a pleasant surprise, I guess, to see some of the pitchers. And I know for me in fantasy, I was looking to pick up just some reliever, and I get some guy named Smeltzer or something like yeah. that. He actually ends up getting two starts and actually does really well. So it's just kind of guys you wouldn't think of uh, producing for them in the in the bullpen and even in the rotation. So I think that's why they're here. I I just I have to question it. Uh, Chicago had the terrible start, but they've kind of turned it around. At least they're 500 right now. Moncada's back, even though he kind of stinks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's just very hard for me to not see the White Sox getting into it once we're in July and August. I think one of the strengths for the White Sox, especially last year, was Craig Kimbrell kind of being in that bullpen. They had a bullpen juggernaut, it felt like. Did, I really didn't love the A.J. Pollock for Craig Kimbrell trade. Oh, no. I thought really the, the identity for the White Sox was always have your starters throw six innings, and you know after that go Graveman, Hendricks, Kimbrell. And that, to me, was the recipe for success. They trade away Craig Kimbrell to the Dodgers, and they get A.J. Pollock, who has not been great this year. He had a really good year last year in Los Angeles, but this past kind of few months has been really tough for him. He's been banged up. He just hasn't been what he once was. And and I think that trade alone is a part of why they are struggling. Because earlier in the year, Liam Hendricks wasn't great. He was allowing a lot of runs. He's settled in nicely now. I think he's almost up to 15 saves. But, like, Kimbrell gave them more cushion, I think, in the bullpen. And I think that trade didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. No, yeah, I think it was definitely a head-scratcher when it first came out. Um, I mean, you just can't have enough arms in the bullpen, I feel, especially the back half of it. So, it it was definitely an, an interesting trade. But I still think on paper this team was just – it, I think it's better than the Twins, and right now the Twins, it's kind of like the, the Sox of last year almost, not saying that they have the same talent, but it's like this is a team that's kind of overachieving expectations the most, not all, um, versus a team that was by far and away probably top five for everybody coming into the season. So 
that being the Yankees of last year. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting, and we'll have to see how this plays out if the Twins can keep it up or not. Obviously, yeah. the Sox they kind of kept it up enough to make it to the ALCS, but I don't see Minnesota doing that. They just don't have the talent. Speaking of the Sox, I think we we should talk a little bit about them. You went to the game in which Hunter Green faced off against Garrett Whitlock. I mean, what did you see in that game? And talk about kind of what, what you've seen from the Red Sox of late. Well, so I'm actually going to start with Hunter Green first because that guy throws the ball really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Watching his warm-up pitches, it, it, it's pretty fun to see. I will say that. I had a pretty good view. Um, not quite behind home plate, but I was pretty close. on TV. Yeah, almost. Um, <laughs> I was pretty close to the field. And just to see him pitching, I mean, it, it, it was really cool. Um, somebody that good. But he does start the game with, like, I think – four Ks or something before the first hit, like the first inning at three Ks, it was pretty ridiculous, but he does get knocked around. Um, and my fantasy team will tell you that because his ERA is it's like North of five. So <laughs> he's young, but he's, he's going to be very good. But right now he just gets knocked around a lot. But in terms of the Red Sox, um, I think the story still holds. This team is very inconsistent. Um, when the bullpen is there, when the pitching's there, but the bats aren't there. They're going to lose 2-1 to the Reds. And then vice versa, when the offense is finally there, they're going to win 7-1 against the Reds, who is arguably the worst team in baseball. Obviously, since they started the season like 3-23 and or whatever it was, they've had the third best record since then. But still, it shows the Sox are just very inconsistent. I think that's been the story so far. Yeah, I went to the game the day before you did, and I think it's almost a trend, like, Luis Castillo had 10 strikeouts through six innings. I mean, you, you said Hunter Green was kind of mowing them down early. I think they strike out a lot. I'd like to see them be more aggressive early in counts. You know, you look at the Mariners, and, and I heard about this um, from, I believe it was John Boy, that, you know, they had been, it, it, obviously, they've had a bad year. They were struggling, right? And they had almost started to turn it around because there was a stat that said that they had been swinging within the last, like, three or four games. They had been swinging on the first pitch of at-bats 55% of the time. you got to change your mindset. You can't just watch all these pitches and be down 0-2, 1-2, because then you're just, you know, it, it leaves you more room for error to strike out. So I think they have to change their approach, be more aggressive in counts for sure. And I said this yesterday, but number one, I think you got to change the structure of the lineup. I hate the fact that Kike is leading off. The dude's hitting under 200. You know, put Trevor Story up there. Put Bogarts up there, Colin said yesterday. Like, make a change. Make some sort of change to get this lineup going. I talked about the Cardinals and how they have a really good 9-1 turnover. Like, throw Kike at 9 let him get a little bit more confidence back and then have someone else leading off. I think, you know, to go Jackie, Kike, Bogarts doesn't do a service for Bogarts or, or Devers, whoever hit second. So I'd like to see them make that change. And lastly, I think they, they just they need to call up Jaron Duran. You look at these prospects, right? You know, it, you know Duran's not Bobby Wood or Nolan Gorman or, or any of these guys. But, again, you have to have some patience with these young prospects. I think he, he came up for one game against Chicago, and he, he had a hit, and then he gets sent down the next day. It's like, well, why not leave him up here? you got to have patience. you got to have more of a leash with younger prospects. Give them more MLB at-bats. 
let them figure it out. And Duran would give you stolen bases. That's something I think the team has been missing. They don't really have someone who runs. And that can be a huge asset for you. So bring him up, hit him, hit him ninth to start him out. Let him kind of try to get on base, draw some walks, put some good contact on the baseball, you know, gets on first, start running. Like that's something that that's, and you not dread, like that's something that this team doesn't have. They don't have a premier stolen base guy. You know, looking looking at the Cardinals, they got two guys in with like thirteen plus steals already. So oh, yeah. that's who would help them a lot. Yeah, I, I agree about the um just the lack of aggressiveness when it comes to steals. Um just because I don't think there's really anybody that can. It was funny. I went to that game and like the whoever the pitcher was tried to pick off Bogarts. I'm like, no one on this team's gonna steal. <laughs> that, that that's not the Red Sox MO. Um But in terms of the lineup. It, I think it does. It, it's very interesting. Like, it, it, the Red Sox have just never had the nine hitter be somebody that's actually like have a decent average. It's always been JBJ or Bobby Dahlbeck or Christian Vasquez when he's having a bad year. It's just that's never been what Alex Cora has done. Um, and I think it's a fair point. Everyone talks about like that second leadoff type guy in the nine hole. I think maybe they should try it out because I mean there's been plenty of times where you look at the bottom three and when I went to the game on Saturday I believe it was against the Orioles it was Bobby Delbeck, Franchi Cordero and then uh, JBJ just kind of three instant outs I know Franchi Cordero kind of I have a new appreciation for him because yep Uh, and I think part of it when you look at it actually like you talk about the the swing and misses or just swinging on the first pitch 55% of the time I was listening to, I think it was like 98.5, and they are talking about Cordero, how his chase rate has gone way down compared to last year. So it shows he's actually seeing the ball. He's actually getting walks, and he's actually getting on base, kind of like I alluded to yesterday. Um, and it's a guy I think has had a really good progression, but still not the, the best baseball player in the world. So when you have those three at the bottom of the lineup, kind of kills momentum when those three get out instantly. But I do like the idea of maybe moving Kike down to the nine spot because, like you said, he's having a bad year hitting the ball at least. Um, and then quickly to kind of just hit on the Duran part, if you're going to have Franchi Cordero in right field like they did on, I think it was Wednesday, it, I say yes, you bring up Duran. There's no reason for Franchi Cordero to be playing in right field and Bobby Delbeck playing first base. Yeah. But I think when you look at the outfield, Verdugo has to stay in left just because of what he offers mm-hmm. with his bat. Kike is very good defensively in center, and JBJ, we know what he is defensively in right field. I, I find it very hard to find a spot for Duran. Obviously, his bat's probably better than JBJ, but I think what Jackie gives you defensively in the outfield, I think it's a hard spot for Cora to bring up Duran in that spot. I just think what you have in the outfield, it's very hard to find a spot for that guy in the lineup. My one thing about I, – I have a couple things. My one thing about that thought on Jackie, right, is that – how many times during a game is he going to be asked to make a big-time defensive play? For me, you're asked to, you know, step up to the plate four times. Yeah. He might be asked to make three catches all in one game. He could be asked to make one. Like, the impact that you would have, I feel like, is more prevalent right now, like, Offensively, and that's not saying again. That's not saying anything against his fielding. I'm just saying the, the opportunity won't it just ha- it really hasn't been there. I mean, when's the last time we saw like a Jackie Bradley Jr. defensive highlight? Uh, Fair enough. It's been a little while because the ball could go in any different direction. Like it, it's never always going to be hit out to right field. So 
but he, but he will be asked to hit the to hit four times. So that's why I'm almost like, all right, try to bring up somebody else to spark the hitting. That can also play defense. I mean, Jackie can play defense, but he can't play offense. You know, Duran can play more so offense, but not as much defense. But I'd rather the offense, to be honest with you. Because, again, how often is Jackie going to be called upon to make a big play? Secondly, and I agree with you on Kike, push him down. You saw what Whit Merrifield did. I mean, I bring him up with the Royals. I mean, he started the year brutally. Brutally. And he, you know, he's been a 40 stolen base guy, hits 300. And what the Royals did was they said, all right, we're going to put you down to seven, eight. And you started turning it around and, and they moved him back up. I think move him down. Don't, don't leave him lead off when he's hitting under 200. You got to reward people who are playing to their full potential. You need someone at the leadoff spot who's going to be getting on base. Push Kike down to like seven, eight for now, and then let him see if he can get going. Because oftentimes a change like that does spark them. Get him back to the top of the order if he starts playing well. I think it's like it's a simple – I feel like that's almost like a simple idea. Why reward somebody, someone and place them leadoff when they're hitting under 200? No, that's fair. And I, I have seen a couple times throughout the year where Core has put Kike in kind of the 5-6 spot, try and give him something different. But, I mean, we're still getting the same product. He got the day off on Wednesday because JBJ was in center and Franchi was in right. Um, yeah, hope he turns it around. Um, this was a guy that ended the year, like, very explosive for the offense. So you kind of hope he could turn it around. Maybe moving him down the lineup gets that spark. But I, I just feel... As much as we're also advocating for him to be at that nine spot so he can get the lineup structure that we're looking for, the spark's not there when he gets the opportunity to kind of shake it up. So, yeah. And I think the end goal would be to have him lead off. I mean, he's been good at it in the past. He's good at hitting leadoff home runs. I mean, I've seen him talk about someone who kind of sometimes jumps on the first pitch of the game. He's done oh, yeah. that before, even this year. So the goal is to have him lead off. But again, for right now, it might not be the best for the team. Um, so I think that wraps up episode 60. Uh, good pod, Dan, um, vote on our poll today. Our Filipino poll. Will he score in his fourth consecutive game tonight? We will find that out very soon. And then, yeah, check back in next week. We'll have episode 61. And then also we'll be bringing another gridiron with our next four teams. Is that correct, Dan? Yep. Next four teams of the NFL power rankings. Sounds good. Yeah. Check out our uh, teams 32 through 28. That episode is releasing today as well. Um, and Dan was there for half of it. so <laughs> Yeah, laptop decided to kick me out of the pod. So I ended yeah. up working out, I guess. Yeah, And we'll the, see uh, what happens with all these series and, and the movement within baseball uh, in a week from now. So we'll check back in on that. But for now, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later. Peace. Put your tears away and no fear today. You can drive off towards that summertime sunset. It's what you ain't done yet. Take the keys, leave the regrets. Write your letters, place your bets. I'll be the one who accepts. You know,